The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Once again, in this in-between time, in this season of Easter, between the resurrection and the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, once again we join Luke's account of the movement of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem and Judea through Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Last week, we heard about Saul, a leader of the persecution of the church, encountering the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Today, we encounter Saul once more after he spent some time in solitude in the desert. He eventually returns and joins the young church in Antioch in Syria. The Holy Spirit speaks into this community and charges them to set aside Saul and Barnabas as missionaries. Now, we find Saul and Barnabas in that first journey as instruments of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the kingdom of God towards the ends of the earth. They've traveled from Antioch through Crete to Asia Minor, and they've come to Antioch and Pisidia in the region of Galatia. Although there are some other possibilities I think that this community in Antioch of Pisidia is one of the churches to which Paul will later write in his epistle to the Galatians. And Saul and Barnabas come into the synagogue, and after the reading, the leader of the synagogue invites the travelers to share a word of encouragement. After offering a brief history of the mighty works of God among the people of Israel, much as Jennifer has offered a summary the mighty works of God in the Exodus. Paul preaches up until the time of John the baptizer, and then he begins the message that we hear today. You know, much of what we have recorded of Paul's teachings comes from the letters that he wrote to churches that were struggling with various theological and practical issues. And these topical responses to challenges are by their very nature limited and shaped by the questions that those churches are facing. But here, here we have a chance to hear Paul preach the gospel, the gospel of our Lord to a group that's familiar with the Hebrew scriptures but have not yet encountered Jesus as the risen Christ. 
Let's take a moment to see how Paul preaches to us today. Paul begins by telling us the type of message that he brings. A message of salvation, a message of healing, a message of wholeness and redemption. This message is a message of God at work among us. It's a message of revelation. It's a message that says, here he is in our midst. Paul continues with a gentle warning. This Jesus, the Savior of Israel, foretold in the scriptures, came to Jerusalem, and those who should have recognized him, those who study the scriptures, those who read the law and the prophets, and teach on them each Sunday, each Sabbath, these are the ones who rejected and condemned Jesus. Ironically, in doing so, they fulfilled the scriptures that foretold of their own disobedience and rejection of the kingdom of God. We don't know for certain how much this synagogue knew about Paul, but I think they probably knew enough about his history that they recognized that Paul himself was among this group that should have known and didn't. Although schooled in the scriptures, he failed to recognize the presence of Christ until that day on the road to Damascus. Paul later reminds this church and the others of this quality of his training at the feet of Gamaliel, his piety as a Pharisee, his zeal as a persecutor of the church. And in all this, he didn't recognize Christ in his coming. All the training in the world does not open our hearts to an encounter with the Christ. There's a video that circulates in the training world about how what we look for blinds us to what is actually happening. Briefly, there are two groups, one in white shirts and one in black shirts. They're passing basketballs around. The facilitator says, now watch this video. Count the number of times the team in white passes the basketball. So we're all busy counting. We watch the video. And at the end, the facilitator asks, how many did you count? 20, 21, 23. There's always an argument about how many times the basketball was passed. And then the facilitator asks, now how many people saw the gorilla? Everybody kind of snickers. There are one or two that may have seen it. But most of us, most of us as we're watching, we're intent on watching the team in white pass the basketball as a character in a gorilla suit walks through the middle of the group, turns and waves at the camera and walks on by, and we completely miss it. I actually said, you changed that when he replayed it. I couldn't believe that my eyes had missed the gorilla. I argued, I know that's hard for you to understand, hard for you to picture in me. I still wonder how they went back and changed the video to put that gorilla in there, because he wasn't there. I think the same thing often happens in our spiritual life. As we come to the scriptures expecting to have what we already believed affirmed, we don't recognize the surprise. When we come into our prayer asking for the things that we already desire, we don't recognize when God puts a desire in our hearts. Looking for what we know, what we can understand, what we can touch and feel and control, we miss the invitation to encounter the mystery of God. We're so consumed with making scripture fit 
into our preconceived theological constructs, we fail to encounter the very God that Scripture reveals. After this warning, Paul moves to his proof of Jesus as the Christ. His proof is the resurrection, the good news that what God has promised, he has fulfilled by raising Jesus from the dead. Paul proclaims the gospel of the resurrection, the good news, the gospel, the announcement of victory and sovereignty is the good news that Jesus, the Holy One, the Son of God, has defeated death. Paul concludes with the statement that in Jesus, resurrected from the dead, in this is proclaimed the freedom that the law of Moses was not able to provide. Let's take a moment to try to wrap our minds around this. We'll start by oversimplifying the law of Moses. The law of Moses puts a fence around the people to prevent death from being found among the people. The law provides for ways that those who encounter death, those who touch a dead body, those who touch flies, those who bleed, can be cleansed from the mark of death and reenter community. In essence, we could say that the law was about preventing the contagion of death from entering the community of God. But what the law could not do was bring about healing. And this is what we see in the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus considered someone with death upon them, even the visible death of leprosy, Jesus didn't shy away. He didn't say, go away until you're clean. Instead, Jesus came and touched and healed. When Jesus encountered the sick, the lame, the blind, the demon-possessed, even the dead, he didn't turn away. He didn't fear the contagion of death. Instead, he overcame the power of death with life. He brought healing and restoration instead of condemnation and exclusion. By his resurrection, Jesus has defeated death. As Paul says, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, did not experience any of the corruption of death. That's the freedom that Christ brings to us. The freedom from the culture of death. The freedom to be life in the midst of those who know nothing but death. The way of the kingdom inaugurated by the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, is the way of life. No longer are the ways and tools of death a contagion that threaten us to defile us. Instead, we're called to bear the contagion of life, to bring healing and wholeness and restoration to the world around us. I really like the sound of that. But what does it actually look like? That's the wrestling that continues throughout the rest of the book of Acts, throughout the epistles, throughout the history of the church, up until today. How do we cultivate and proclaim the way of life when we are surrounded by a culture of death? I wish I could answer this in five minutes. I wish I had a snappy sound bite that said this is how. But the truth is that we will wrestle with this for the rest of our lives. And our children's children will still be wrestling with how we do this. 
So instead, let's look at the ways that guide our wrestling. And then we'll look at some of the cultural challenges that require our faithful wrestling. From Paul's sermon in Antioch of Pisidia, we find a formula that may guide us. First, we remember the mighty acts of God, the way of his redemption of the people of Israel, the way of his redemption of us, his promise that he has fulfilled. We recall that our message is a message of healing and restoration. Next, we're called to the humility that in all that we have learned, all that we have studied, even in our most learned theology, we risk being so focused on how we are right that we miss the invitation to encounter Christ. Finally, we remain certain that our message is the message of victory, life over death, and the resurrection of Jesus, who is the Christ. This Thursday, this past Thursday, Bishop Orgy hosted a clergy call. We began our call in study. We looked at 2 Peter in the first verse, the chapter, first chapter, verses 5 through 11. This is where Peter writes that because of the grace and life that we have received in Christ, we're called to cultivate the way of life. To this grace, we are called to add virtue. And adding to virtue, knowledge, and self-control, perseverance, brotherly affection. And in this labor, we come to the chief virtue of all, love. All of our work proceeds to the self-giving love that is manifest in Christ. Paul calls us in the same way in his letter to the church at Corinth, in his letters to the Galatians. All of our wrestling must culminate in love. We are in a time that will demand wrestling. We're in a cultural in-between time, a time of transition. Our culture is in the midst of a great change as we move from modernity to post-modernity. As we move from Christendom to post-Christendom. You know, theology is always shaped and limited by the questions that we ask. Much of our current theology is shaped and formed by the questions of modernity and the challenges of Christendom. As we move beyond, as we move into a postmodern, post-Christendom society, the questions change. The truth is the same, but the questions change. As a church, Will we, like the leaders in Jerusalem, hold on to the answers that we know, demanding that the culture only ask the questions we're comfortable answering? Or will we instead take our questions back to Scripture, trusting in the presence of Christ, seeking that encounter and watch with wonder as Christ is once again revealed as the fulfillment of all that God has promised, even as we ask new and different questions. We're also coming into a season of great challenge for the church in the United States. 
In the second part of our clergy call this week, Reverend John Stone Street, a deacon in our diocese, president of the Colson Center and host of the podcast Breakpoint, a cultural commentator and a great man of God, discussed the unprecedented leak of a draft Supreme Court decision signaling what will likely be the overturning of Roe versus Wade. In all likelihood, this will send the legislative issue of legality or the illegality of abortion back to the individual states. The full decision will likely be released early to midsummer, just in time for the ramp up of our electoral season in the midterm November elections. This will be a time of great challenge, a time of great wrestling. Indeed, there will be wrestling, for there are not easy answers to complex questions. As we're called to wrestle with proclaiming the way that is life in the midst of the culture of death, let Peter guide us. We can get all caught up in arguing, pursuing, even commanding or legislating some form of virtue. However, if we're not diligent, grounded in the abundant love and life of God, if we're not focused on the end that is love, we risk into falling into the competition, death against death, hate against hate, hurt against hurt, rather than proclaiming the victory of life and healing and restoration. Beyond these large and somewhat abstract or at least distant challenges, we have the Monday morning challenges, all the aspects of our daily lives where we're called to see the way of life the way of healing and love in the midst of a culture that calls us to selfishness, self-interest, enmity, argument, blame, exclusion, death. In our day-to-day -day lives, we're called to wrestle. And in our wrestling, to remember that the way of Christ is the way of salvation, the way of healing. To remember to be open encounter, to be open to mystery and surprise, to remember that in the resurrection, Christ defeated death and called us to life. So, as we come today to this table, to this place of encounter, I invite you to come bringing your doubts, your fears, your questions even the uncomfortable questions, even the unpopular questions. I invite you to come, especially bringing your wounds, your need for healing and wholeness. I invite you to come and know the healing salvation that is found in Christ. I invite you to encounter the fullness of love that speaks even to this day. This is my body, it is given for you. And immersed in this love, I invite you to cultivate virtue, wrestling to bring the ways of life, patience, kindness, 
humility, forgiveness, gratitude, reconciliation, healing. Bring these into your awareness and into your action, even as the world baits us with the temptations and idolatry of the ways of death, anger, bitterness, pride, deceit, power, selfishness, exclusion, and all that flows from these. I invite you to cultivate virtue, not to its own end, but to the end which, to which God calls us, love. We're called to be shaped and formed into the very likeness of Christ, that we may be so filled with love that we offer ourselves for the life and healing of others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.